0: You know, you don't have to uh, even flick on the news anymore to find something to worry about, right? It used to be you'd turn on the news, oh, it's all bad news. Now you don't have to turn the news on anymore. The bad news is all around us, all the time. We've always got things to worry about. And in this day and age, it's just off the map, right? I mean, it's just everything seems to be going off a cliff all the time. And, and so we, we just can easily get caught up as believers in the idea of worry. And someone actually wrote an article just a couple of years ago entitled this, The Surprising Upsides of Worry. The Surprising Upsides of Worry. And this writer claimed this. Worrying actually leads, this is what they claim, now I'm just quoting this, lead to better health, to more success, and to greater well-being. And he goes on to say that, If you worry just the right amount, that's better than not worrying at all. Now, I get that, you know, worrying that you might have a heart attack could could maybe lead you to take better care of your health or lung cancer or whatever can lead you to quit smoking or or eat better or whatever it is. But the idea that there's somehow a good worry and a bad worry, kind of like maybe white lies and I guess not white lies, you know, I mean, is a little bit ludicrous. This article actually went on to say that here's what we need to do. We have to establish daily worry periods. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Daily worry periods. 50, Fifteen minutes a day at a certain time, not just any time. And that's the time. Say it's 10 a.m. That's the time where for 15 minutes you get all your worrying in for the day. Worry periods. Now, you know what I'd be most worried about? That I couldn't get all my worrying done during my worry period each day. That's what I would be panicked about, folks, we don't need more creative ways to worry, do we? I think we're pretty good at it. We don't need new creative ways. What we need is an answer to how to have victory over our worry, over those things that just drag us down, those things that, that rob us of our attention, that distract us, take away our, our joy and, and our peace, and lead us often to lose sight of our purpose in life. But thankfully, there is an answer. There is an answer to our worry. There is a way to win over our worry, a way that doesn't involve carving out little periods each day when you do all your worrying and hoping you can get it all in. See, when something's broken, what do you do? You go to the one who made it, figure out how to fix it, figure out how it's supposed to operate. And we know, we know that we can go to the one who created us, because he knows exactly how we're supposed to function. God knows exactly how we're supposed to function best in life. In just a few moments, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and that's part of, right in the middle of, what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. If you have one of those red-letter versions where Jesus' words are are in red, like I'm reading from here, then all those chapters are pretty much all red. It's Jesus giving this long teaching on a hillside, and that's why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of that, in Matthew 6, he will directly address the issue of worry. Why? Because he knows our tendencies. He knows that left to ourselves, we will go off on that path of worry. And so he addressed it right here 2,000 years ago, and it's still just as relevant to us today. Now, I encourage you to, to, to follow along. I'll, I'll give you some, some notes there. There should be an outline in there in your bulletin. And you say, well, I'm not a writer. I don't do these kinds of things or, or whatever. Here, here's what's kind of proven is that if you hear something, you remember about 10% of what you hear. Kind of one of those statistical things. But if you hear something and then write it down, you remember about 20% of what you hear. It actually doubles. Our retention. So if you want to double your Bible knowledge in 30 minutes, write something down today. Fill in some blanks. Even if you wad it up and throw it out on the way out, you're going to double your retention. Here's the big idea today. The big idea is this. Jesus provided his followers with a pathway for winning over worry. For winning over worry. We've already said that worry negatively impacts our lives today. So the question we're going to ask and answer from our text today in Matthew 6 is this, how? How can I win over worry? And our text is going to show us today three, three keys to winning over worry. And the way Jesus is going to teach here, he's going to use a series of questions, which he did so often in his teaching. You look at Jesus' style, he didn't often accept with those who we knew were hard-hearted toward him, but often with the rest of the people, he used a kind of a question and answer style. And I think we can learn a lot from that style. Christianity isn't always about a big debate and a big fight. Often asking questions, finding out where people are at can really help us as we seek to, to draw people to Him. So that's what Jesus is going to do here. Here's the very first key, and we'll be in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25 in just a moment here. The first key is this. I can win over worry first by renewing my perspective. By renewing my perspective. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We're going to start to break these questions down in a minute, but what Jesus does here, he starts getting right to the point. He just throws down a command. Do not worry. And you know, what? he had every right to just leave it there. He didn't have to elaborate. He could have just been a big period there. That could have been the end of this entire teaching. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, he's going to go on to take the time to explain the reason behind his command. You know, often as parents, what do we say to our kids, especially when they're younger? You know, do this or don't do this. Well, why? Because I said so. Right? Jesus had every right to say that there. Don't worry. Well, why? Well, because I said so. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He's going to go on to explain the purpose behind his command. Now, let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Let's start with a basic definition of what we mean by worry. Let's just make sure we're all kind of on the same page, what this word actually means here in the original text. Here's what it literally means. Here's here's a literal definition. To give way to anxiety or unease to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or trouble. It kind of hits the nail right on the head, doesn't it? That's exactly what we're doing when we worry. If you trace the use of that English word all the way back, say, where do we get this word worry? It literally comes from a German word that means to strangle or to choke, to torment yourself with disturbing The Germans do not mince words, do they? (laughs) To strangle or to choke. And so when Jesus uses the word here in verse 25, he he literally is saying, don't be anxious. Don't be strangled by these things. Don't be be troubled by these things. Now, we've got to be careful in some English translations. You know, the, the King James itself says, take no thought for your life. And sometimes people run with that to say, oh, don't plan or don't think about the future ever, which we know the Bible talks about planning. The Bible talks about the future a lot. and all. It's not unbiblical to think about the future, but to be consumed by it and worry about it, that's a whole other matter. And, and so be very careful about the wording here. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. That's what worry does. It, it takes my attention and my time and my energy and my thoughts and my actions and distracts me. From other important things in life. Worry divides the mind. You know this is important, but all you can see is this that's right in front of you. Might be your finances, might be your health, might be your job, might be your kids, might be your grandkids, might be big decisions in your life, might be your marriage, might be. That's all we can see is that we get tunnel vision, don't we? That's what worry does. It gives, it gives us that kind of tunnel vision and distracts me. That's why, in another passage in Luke chapter 10, and we're not going to turn there, but Jesus was at the home of Mary and Martha. And if you're not familiar with the passage, what's going on there is Jesus comes to the house, right? Mary's sitting over here dutifully at his feet, listening to his teaching. And where's Martha? She's in the kitchen, right? Yeah, Martha's in the kitchen. She's running around crazy, and she's she's always keeping an eye over there to Mary. And she's getting aggravated, she's getting frustrated. And starts, so I'm over here cooking and I'm cleaning and I'm doing dishes. And I'm... Look at Mary. She's over there doing nothing. Right? And what does Jesus say? He assesses the situation and he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, you are worried. You are worried about many things. Same exact word in the original language is used there as Jesus uses here. You're distracted, you're you're divided about many things. So he says to us, do not worry. And he gets very specific, says don't worry about what you will eat, what you'll drink, about what you'll put on, just the basics of life. And then he invites us to ponder the first of many questions he'll use to make his point here. The first of these deep questions to ponder the idea that worry is not very profitable for our lives. What's the first question there? He says at the end of 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, isn't there more to life than the basic stuff you spend your days, your time, your energy focusing on? and worrying about. Jesus is trying to provide us with a a renewed perspective of our lives to to broaden that perspective so we don't get trapped in that narrow tunnel called worry. When we don't have a proper perspective, when we're we're looking down all the time, focused on, on one thing right in front of us, when we should be looking up, we can get into a lot of trouble. I don't know if there's a, is there a picture up there of, of that? Have there been slides up there, by the way? Oh, there haven't been any slides up there. What happens, I don't have my phone, it's over there, but what happens, we, we often spend times doing this. How many of you, go ahead, show of hands, go ahead, it's church, you can't lie, right? How many of you have been walking like this and you either tripped over something or walked into something? Anybody? Come on, come on, bring those hands up. Yeah, oh yeah, you've done it. You've done it, I've done it, right? Why? Because we're looking down. We're focusing on something we shouldn't be focusing on while we're trying to move forward. That's always a recipe for disaster, right? And we sometimes get hurt. We sometimes get hurt. So Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. And you know, he started this text. He started this where I started the text. He started with the word, therefore, therefore. That means that what he's about to say about worry is somehow tied back to what he has just taught. Whenever you see that word, therefore, in the Bible, don't just move forward. If you open your Bible one day and you're reading, you're doing your quiet time, and it starts with therefore. Stop, back up, because it's tied to what was just said. Okay, and In this case, the passage prior to this is Jesus talking about the fact that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve the God of materialism and the God of the Bible. And he says, don't store up your treasures here on earth. He says, this stuff's all going to decay. It's all going to go away. You're not going to take it with you. He says, store up your treasures in heaven where it will last forever. Therefore, do not worry about your life. He's trying to shift our perspective He's trying to shift it from the today to the eternal. He's trying to shift it from the, the visible, what we can see, to the invisible. What's going on in this spiritually, what's going on in heaven, things we can't physically see. Why? Because God does his best work in the things we can't see, doesn't he? How many times have you like struggled through something and you prayed about it and you didn't really think it was actually gonna happen and you pray about it and then, God brings some way about that you never saw coming. And maybe we use that phrase, oh, never saw that one coming. I had a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and God said, oh, no, here's plan X or Y or Z that you never could have imagined. That's how I answered your prayer. We use that phrase. Why? Because God does his best work in the realm that we cannot even see. And that's why it always kind of wakes us up a little bit when we see him answer prayer in that way. What does it say about faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Faith is the confidence, is the New Living Translation. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Things we cannot see. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. He says, set your mind on things above. Not on things, on the earth. That word set, when he says set your mind, that means to direct your mind toward something. Direct your mind toward what we can't see. And that actually sounds crazy to us. Why? Because we live our lives in the material world. We live our lives here. You go to work, you raise your kids, you do this, you go grocery shopping, You whatever. We live in the world of what we can see and, and touch and feel, But God is saying, I want you to have complete confidence not in those things. That kind of boggles the mind, doesn't it? I want you to have complete confidence in what you can't see. And that's what the Bible calls faith. It's not blind faith, like some want to claim. Christians run around with a blind faith. Oh, no. It's simply faith in something I can't see, but something I am confident exists. Something I am confident is Real. That's what faith is. The faith that there's all this going on in heaven. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and will one day return and bring us to be with Him. What does He say? Where I am, there you will be also. So we can trust Him as we renew our perspective of life. We can trust Him with our today. And we can trust Him with our tomorrow. Here's the first application, this first point. I will accept that there is more to life than what I can see. I will accept there is more to life than what I can see. When it's just you and your problem, your problems look huge, don't they? It's just you and your problem, you got that tunnel vision going on. Your problem just looks enormous when it's just you and your problem me and my measly resources and my problem. But when I shift my perspective and all of a sudden it becomes my huge problem, my measly resources, and my Jesus, that's a game changer. That's a renewed perspective. And that's what he's calling us to here. First key, I can win over worry by renewing my perspective. This is the second key in our text. I can win over worry By remembering my position. By remembering my position. I'm going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 26. Remember, they're seated on the hillside. Jesus Jesus just laid down the command, don't worry about your life. But Now he starts to give them reasons. They don't need to worry. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. More questioning. Are you not of more value than they? Another question, verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit, or one day, one period of cubit was literally about an 18-inch span? Who can add more length to life by worrying? Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. And I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed or clothed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, it's burned up, will he not much more? Now, the question, clothe you, O you of little faith. Wow. What an explanation. Jesus here is now comparing the earthly perspective to the heavenly perspective. And, and now he's kind of like a lawyer arguing a case. He's not going to bring the evidence in. He's going to bring in the evidence that's all right around them. They never go searching for it. So what's the first thing he does? He says, hey, you know what? Look at these birds. Look at these birds flying over. Remember, they're on a hillside. Illustrations were everywhere. They didn't have to look for them. You just had to say, look up. All these birds are flying around. And what's the one thing they're not doing? They're not worrying. These birds aren't flying around, you know, worrying that their 401K is down or, you know, whether Social Security is going to be enough or, you know, mother birds aren't worried about when their baby birds are ever going to leave the nest if they're ever going to leave the nest or the couch or the basement or whatever, you know what I mean? they're not worried about that. Single birds aren't worrying about whether or not they'll ever find Mr. and Mrs. Wright Bird. You know, it's just not happening. They're just flying around. They're just doing their thing. Why? Why? Because God takes care of them. God takes care of them. And then Jesus throws down that question. He says, are you not of more value than they are? If you can just look up and see that I take care of them, it's so obvious. Are you not of more value than they are? It's like, think about it. And then he throws that next question right behind it. Can worrying add a single moment to your life? Can it add any more time to your life by by, by worrying? No, it can't. But Jesus doesn't stop there. As they're looking up at the bird, he says, okay, now lower lower your view lower your eyes, look around. Remember where they are, they're on the hillside. Stuff growing all around them. He says, take a look at these flowers. Take a look at the stuff that's growing all around you. I take care of them. I take care of them. Just like I take care of those birds, I take care of all these flowers. You didn't have to do anything. I made it happen. You know, we, we told you we lived in Maryland for 10 years. We lived in the same house all 10 years. And right outside our back door, I didn't put them there. They were there when we got there. There's these flowers each spring that just come out and big orange things. And all those years, I didn't even know what they were called. I don't know what they were. And they're just growing out. And I look out my kitchen window, and there they are. And they stay, you know, spring, summer, fall. And then they go away. And, and then next year, they come right back out. I, I barely ever watered them. I didn't do anything to them. I didn't plant them. I didn't put them there. I didn't take care of them. Yet, I look out and there they were. And you know what I never saw, I never looked out. My, my, my garden hose was right next to it. I never saw them like, oh I wish he turned the hose on. Never saw it. I never saw them worried at all about how they were gonna make it. God just took care of them in the same way he wants to take care of you. None of us has ever seen a flower sweat over how it's going to make it. None of us has ever seen a bird just going all anxious on how they were going to make it. God takes care of them. But you know what? They're not nearly as valuable as you and I, in God's eyes. Winning over worry becomes possible when you understand who you are in God's eyes. When you go all the way back to the beginning of this book, and you read in, in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, the God creating the heavens and the earth you know, in six days. And at the end of the first five days, he assesses his work. And what does he say? He looks at what he created and goes, ah, it's good. Hey, well, it should be good. I mean, he's God. He's like, hey, pretty good. did a pretty good job. Probably wouldn't say anything otherwise, you know what I mean? But it's good. But he gets to the day six, and there's a little twist. A little twist at the end of day six. His final day of creation, the day on which he created man and woman, he looks, assesses the day after day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. But at the end of day six, what does he say? Hey, it's very good. It's very good. Why? Because today was the pinnacle of my creation. I created man and woman in my image in the image of God. It's not just good. It's very good. So as we look at the good birds, we look at the good flowers around us, yeah, they're good. God takes care of them. But by the fact that you are living and breathing today, you're very good. You're a very good creation. You hold a special place in the eyes of God as his creation. But take it a step further. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, meaning there's been a time in your life where you've said that I cannot get to heaven on my own. I can only trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross as the only payment for my sin. If there's been a time in your life where you have placed that trust fully and solely in him, then not only are you God's special creation, you're adopted into God's special family. You are his child. Being a creation, that makes you special. Being adopted, that makes you family. Psalm chapter 8. Listen to this, what the psalmist says at the beginning of Psalm 8 as he writes about our role in creation. He says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? In other words, how could he give us any thought? The son of man, that you visit him, for you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. As you learn more about who you are as God's special creation and who you can be if you are not already as a child of God, then you can find out how to have victory over the things that worry you as you recognize that God places far more value on you than he does on the rest of his creation. Here's the application in the second point. I will remember that God takes care of his creation. I will remember that God takes care of his creation. We can win over worry. Number one, by renewing our perspective. Number two, by remembering our position. And finally this morning in the the end of chapter six, we're going to see I can win over worry by reordering my priorities by reordering my priorities. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, there it is again. Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, here it is again, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is now bringing the whole teaching together. He's wrapping it all up. And he throws that command down for the third time. As it, so if we didn't get it the first time, we didn't get it the second time. Here it is again. Therefore, based on everything I just said, all the evidence I just shared, do not worry. And he's like, if you're still worried, think about those questions. Think about the questions I've asked. Is life more than food? Is the body more than clothing? Of course life is more than that. Those things are short-term. They're earthly. They're the visible God's at work in the ways you cannot see. Remember that second question. Are you not of more value than they, the birds, and the flowers? Of course you are. You're part of that day six creation. You're part of the very good. Can worrying add anything to your life? Of course it can't. Of course it can't. Worrying won't add one minute to your life. In fact... If anything, worry probably takes away from our life due to stress and oftentimes the unhealthy ways that we choose to medicate away our worries. Dr. Charles Mayo, who's one of the founders of the famous Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, he uh, said this about worry. Listen to this quote. He said, worry affects circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. And then listen to this. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I've known a lot who died of worry. Folks, when I choose to worry, and yes, worry is indeed a choice, I'm choosing to try to figure out my situation, trying to figure out my my future and my problems all by myself. I'm choosing to fixate on my future, on my uncertainties, on my fears, all the what-ifs, and what do I do? I expend all my energy toward that goal. I expend everything I've got, and at the end of it, what usually results is exhaustion, right? Anybody remember this? I know you do. What is this? Rubik's Cube, right? It kind of looks like my life feels sometimes. All out of whack. You can't seem to get things to line up, you know, relationship-wise, financially, with your kids, family, friends. And so what do you do? You look at it. You say, well, I'm going to try to figure this out. And you start spinning it. And I look and say, oh, good. I got got three reds on one side. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And a few more spins. And all of a sudden, I realize I only got two reds on that side. And so I try some more, and I try some more, and I try some more. And eventually what happens? I give up. I give up, and all I've got to show for it is exhaustion and frustration and disappointment. But you know what? There is a way to actually solve Rubik's Cube, and the key is to hand it over to someone (laughs) who knows what they're doing. Hand it over. Release it. In fact, in 2018, this guy named Felix Zemdeg, he set what was then the Guinness Book, uh, Guinness World Record for solving Rubik's Cube, and he did it. A- any guesses in number of, let's just say, how long it took him? Any guesses on how long it took Felix Zemdeg in 2018 to solve Rubik's Cube? Anybody? How long? How many? One second? One second? No, a little bit more, a little bit more. <laughs> I can barely pick it up in one second, but that's a good guess, but... Uh, but four point, and it's important, I'm gonna tell you this, 4.22 seconds. And if you look it up, look up the video, it is absolutely amazing because that includes picking it up. They can't pick it up until the clock starts. It takes me four seconds just to pick the thing up and go, what am I doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> However, I don't know if you saw, on the local news here, I was watching just last week, knowing I was gonna tell you this story this morning, on June 15th, there's a new, world, a new Guinness record, okay, as of last week, okay, a 21-year-old, in uh, Long Beach, California, 3.13 seconds. And go watch the video, it is absolutely amazing to see someone do that and put it down in 3.13 seconds. Absolutely amazing. So think about it, think about it. There is the only difference between me trying to solve the cube and one of these guys (laughs) trying to solve the cube, is they know what they're doing and I don't. They know what they're doing and I don't. There's a huge difference between trying to figure out your worry yourself and handing it to the one who can. Handing it to the one who invites you to give it to him. When I choose to worry, what I'm actually doing is I'm actually saying, God isn't big enough to handle my worries. That's what I'm really saying. That hurts, doesn't it? That's what we're doing. God isn't big enough, so I've got to do it myself. What I'm actually doing when I, when I worry is I'm saying God isn't strong enough to handle my problem. I'm saying God doesn't know enough to handle my problem. Or God doesn't care enough to solve my problem. That's what we're doing when we choose And it is a choice to worry. Every ounce of energy that I expend on worrying is an ounce of energy I actually need for what God actually would have me to do. And that's to trust Him. How does Peter say it in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all your cares on Him. Why? He cares for you. What did Jesus say in 633? Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. To seek here, that word literally means to strive after. We hear seek and we just think, kind of glance and look. Oh no, this is all out. This is what I'm going for. Seek isn't like, let me go find something God's hidden away. You know, this isn't like an Easter egg hunt. See if I can find the prize. No, God's like, you strive after the kingdom of God. It's not a big secret. I'm not hiding it from you. I want you to live in it. I want you to strive after it. My kingdom, my priorities. And when you're doing that, you won't get caught up in that tunnel vision. Psalm 37:23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of your lives. There's nothing too small for you to give over to God. Oftentimes, what do we do? We categorize things. We categorize needs as the big ones that only we can pray about and the little ones that I can handle. God didn't do that. You don't find that in the Bible where God says, whoa, don't pray about that one. I think you've got to figure this out. You don't find that in the Scriptures. God is willing and ready to hear all your needs. Does your life need a little reprioritizing today? Start today. Here's the application in this last point. I will prioritize God's plans for today. And that means admitting you can trust Him fully with tomorrow. And today, you just prioritize today. What did He say? Tomorrow's got enough to worry about. Tomorrow has its own worries. You focus on today. Back in 1987, there was a painting by, the, of course, the famous artist Van Gogh called Irises. And if you see the painting, it's a bunch of irises. I probably would have called it that, too. Very creative title. But it stands out in that particular year. Why? Because it sold at auction for a record, a then record, $53.9 million for a painting. And in fact, it broke the record that was set earlier that year for another Van Gogh painting called Sunflowers, another very creative title, that it sold for almost $40 million bucks. Now, I can't imagine, even if you had the money, spending it on a painting. But what is the artist doing? uh, Excuse me, the the buyer is, is recognizing and seeing something in that painting, seeing some incredible beauty in the way Van Gogh portrayed it in those paintings that for the buyer, it was worth, it was worth expending that kind of money for. As God's creation, you're so beautiful in his eyes that it was worth him sending his son, Jesus Christ, worth far, far, far more than any human being could pay for him to give his life for you so that you would never have to worry about where you'd spend your eternity. You'd never have to worry about what will happen to me, when I die, that you could live with such assurance—that your eternity in heaven is secure—because of what Jesus Christ did. But that also extends into these days that you're living. That you don't need to worry. You don't need to live life like this Rubik—like you're trying to solve a Rubik's cube. And maybe today you're realizing that you know what—that's what I've been doing. You've been worried about something in life. Maybe it's a big decision you've got to make. Maybe it's some relationship in your life—it's a little messy right now. Maybe it's a financial challenge—you're just not sure what you're going to do. Maybe your kids, your grandkids, are going through something right now, and you're not quite sure where it's going to land. And so you're twisting and you're turning and you're hoping and you're frustrated and you're disappointed. Maybe today you just say, "I'm exhausted." I'm ready to throw in the towel. God says, good, that's right where I want you. Throw in the towel. Hand it over to me. Why? Because I want you to renew your perspective. I want you to remember your position, who you are, not only as my creation, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, as my child. And I invite you to reorder your priorities, to seek first His kingdom. Can I lead us in prayer now? Father God, I just just thank you, Lord, that you didn't just create us and leave us to figure out life on our own. You've given us your word. And Lord, you didn't just lay out a bunch of commands to those people gathered there on the hillside to hear your teaching. Instead, you show the evidence of who you are. And how much you care for your creation. And God, I pray that today, even as we walk out these doors this morning, that the first bird we see, the first flower we spot, we would never look at it the same way again. God, I pray it would be an instant reminder to us of how much you care. And how that extends to us as your creation and how much it extends to your children, to those who know you, to those who have trusted you. Lord God, I pray if there's some listening today who are so overwhelmed and who can acknowledge today that they've not placed their trust in you, I pray that today would be the day that in the quietness of their hearts, they'd simply say, God, I'm done, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm not sure how I'm gonna live tomorrow, but I certainly am not sure what will happen in eternity, I pray that today they would cry out and trust you alone as their Savior. Ask you to forgive them of their sin and to secure that home in heaven for them one day and they could live with the peace and the joy instead of the worry and the anxiety. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.